Good morning. Dark in here, isn't it? That's better. I guess when I enter the room, the light doesn't come on. <laughs> As we were singing this morning, that song just before we enjoyed prayer and the offering, I was struck by my experience of my own Christian walk and just the, the sense of rapture I felt being able to sing those words unto the Lord uh, in, a, in a sense that was really true of my experience. And it dawned on me at that moment that I can remember times when I didn't experience that because I didn't feel worthy. And I, I was reminded that around me were probably others who, just like me at one time or another, I would sing those lyrics, but I, there would be a big check in my spirit because I didn't feel like I could sing them wholeheartedly because I saw myself as unworthy and was aware of the things in my life that, that are not becoming, not the better version of myself, not the, not the Christ-like self that I really want to be and felt like that would merit, you know, being able to genuinely express that. Well, this passage this morning really speaks fundamentally to that condition. When it talks about the grace of God, which is expressed in the life and the work of Jesus Christ, in the cross and resurrection, what he accomplished at the impulse of God's own love, that grace and the resulting condition that is ours in Christ by faith because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. As we fathom that, you can't just hear it. You have to appropriate it, which means you have to claim it. You have to own it. You have to make it your own. You have to dwell and live and breathe in that. And as you do, great spiritual realities will become a part of the pulse and lifeblood of your very existence. So let's read this uh, with just that one example, perhaps, in mind. Chapter 2, Ephesians. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which with the, which with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And, the, and then as though Paul himself is enraptured, he, he kind of breaks off and wants to talk more about grace, and he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This week I thought a lot about a particular man that I knew some years ago. I thought about him so much in relation to this passage, I wrote a bunch about it, and then I thought, no, and I put it aside. And then I came back to it. And then I put it aside, and then I came back, and each time thinking more about Frank Fitzgerald. I met him in Soledad State Prison. Before that, he was in San Quentin, He was a former member of the BGF, the Black Gorilla family. He was six foot eight inches. His arms, his biceps were as big as cannon barrels. He used to be called Chewy. after Chewbacca of Star Wars. But he wasn't hairy. He was big. And he was black. And he was strikingly handsome. Frank had a very violent past, outside and inside prison. Over visits to Frank, I got a chance to hear more and more of his story. How he met Julie, his wife. That's how I met Frank, even before I met Frank. And his son, Happy. How he got to prison. How he led the black gorilla family at San Quentin. The violence that landed him in solitary time and again. 
before there was a Pelican Bay. He described to me his prison life from the inside out. What it was like to be inside a man like that on the inside. He told me how he was transferred to Soledad and how when he arrived, the black gorilla family greeted him and told him he was in charge. And the first opportunity Frank got, he went to the authorities and asked to be put in protective custody for several reasons. Many of which, and perhaps most of all, concern his family, Julie, her new life in Christ that he was learning about. Frank wanted that new life. Frank wanted out. And that's where I met Frank the very first time in protective custody, in a pretty small room with a lot of other people that were meeting their friends, visitors, and family members. Members of the Mexican Mafia and the Aryan Brotherhood, all in one room, all seemingly very human, except for some of the distinguishing tats and color of skin. They all wanted out. They were in protective custody because when you want out, you're also in danger. Even in protective custody, Frank was not safe. And fear, lack of sleep, frayed nerves, the haunting inability to be able to care for Julie and Happy shaped his life each and every day. He wanted to go to church with his family. He wanted to hold his boy in his arms. He wanted that new world that Julie was experiencing and telling him about in Christ. And he was trying to live in that himself, even behind bars. That new world he called the circle of love. He'd repeat it. I just got to... I got to live in the circle of love. I got to be in the circle of love. I've got to get into the circle of love. That was his metaphor, his way of, of talking about a reality that in so many ways he could see and imagine and in some ways he could touch and experience through me and through Julie, through the ways in which we talked in letters and on the phone. But it was a, a reality that he wanted more of. 
And it was in competition with the reality of his life, a life that almost each and every day was just nibbling his soul away. You know, he had his own will. He had enlightenment. But he was battling the tug of forces beyond his control. I wish I could tell you the happy ending. I wish I knew it. I even tried this week to find out. Kind of chokes me up right now. I don't know the ending. In his last letter to me, Frank broke off all further visits, calls, and letters, as he did with Julie and Happy. In that letter, he said there were forces at work inside and outside of prison that wanted to destroy him. He couldn't trust anyone. He dared not trust even the officials that monitored mail and calls. If they couldn't get to him, he feared that they would get to those he loved, his wife and son, even me. He wanted to dry up any source of information that might lead from his life to ours. So I don't know the rest of the story. But I can imagine, as you can, that if the governor of our state or the outgoing president of our country in some surprising move of favor, undeserved and totally unexpected, some amazing grace said to Frank, we're going to release you. Time served all those years, that hardship. Yes, it's a debt that you can't pay. You can't. And he knew it. And it was haunting him. The life of another that he took. All the reasons and excuses. Caught up in a major drug deal with major players. The deal gone bad, guns pulled, shots fired. A major player dies. His gang won't forget. But a life taken, Frank couldn't forget. But if for some reason all of that were wiped away, he walked out of Soledad, was reunited with Julie and Happy, the child that was born to him while he was in prison, that he had never been able to play with outside of those walls and the confines and realities of that crazy life outside the circle of love. 
just imagine. Just imagine how he would treasure, how he would value, how nothing would be taken for granted Each and every day would be a brand new birth, a brand new life, a brand new start. How powerful would be the contrast for Frank? Just think about that just for a moment. How powerful, even though we have no idea, I'm doing the very best that I can in just a few moments to kind of draw you in to try and imagine what that life and that experience would be like. But as mild as that is, it gives us some ability to just imagine with him the contrast between life outside and life inside the circle of love. How earnestly would he champion that new life? Would he look at others squandering it and say, you don't realize what you're wasting, what you're squandering. You have so much opportunity, so much right at your fingertips. He would champion living life at its richest and fullest, not because it's force-fed, but because he treasures it. And he has this new perspective. And he has this new identity. This new status. This new birth. How dearly would he claim the path of good works? Would it be a drudgery to him to be able to do good? Or would it be a privilege that he relishes? That he thinks, I want to be a force for good. I want to respond in kind to the grace, to the new life, to the new birth, to the circle of love I've been privileged to walk in and live in. I would laugh with joy if I had the opportunity to see Frank walk in to greet me, not in prison clothes, but walk in dressed in the good works of God in Jesus Christ. That's the contrast that Paul is talking about in verses 1 through 3. when he talks about our past life and our present life. That's the kind of new life that Frank talked about as the circle of love. 
that Paul talks about in verses four through nine when he says, but God. But God. The life that we have the privilege of championing in the present. Because of the grace of God in our lives. Because of new birth. New status. That's what Paul's been talking about in the very first chapter. That new perspective on what God has done toward us, for us, in Jesus Christ. And that new identity that he prayed about in verses 15 through 23 of that chapter. When he talked about who Jesus is above all rank, file, and authority. And who we are. That we would fathom that. Fathom who we are in Christ. And now Paul says, it's all by grace. We have been raised with him, seated with him. That's a reality that he repeatedly says is real in the spiritual realm or in the heavenly places is his expression. It's a spiritual dimension that we can't always touch or measure by scientific means, but we apprehend and comprehend and realize its reality by faith based on, grounded in God's word, God's revealing his will and his heart at work in Christ Jesus and accomplished for us. That's what we champion. And that is what we are to claim, that path of good works. God's good works. We are saved by works. Gotcha, didn't I? Some of you were just, what? Saved by works? Well, we are saved by works. They just aren't our works. They're God's works. We're saved by what God has done. We can enjoy it or not. We can live in it or not. To be plain about it, all of us flirt with being contented with having it up here in our head, having all the facts and all the information. But we need to take it a step further. And that's where the faith comes in. Because faith isn't something independent. It's always faith in something. It's faith in ourselves, faith in people around us, faith in our government. 
faith in the machinations of our world. But God says, put your faith in me. Let me win your trust in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in him, it's not a one step and done. It's a walk. Paul, very strikingly in this passage, opens in the very beginning by talking about the way we walked then, outside of Christ, outside the circle of love. But here in verse 10, he ends with us being a new creation. That's what it means by workmanship. A little bit of an over-translation is masterpiece. It does mean what is made by somebody. And it is often pronounced in Greek, poema. And it is the same word from which we get our word poem. But the point is, and what he has been saying is, we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And that creation is manifest. It's made plain. It's made real in God's good works for which we are purposed in Christ. Knowledge is so important. But faith in that knowledge about God that's what makes us take one step at a time in Christ. That's what motivates us. That's what causes us to sing when we're singing the hymns, singing the songs of worship with a full heart, not a doubtful heart, not a timid heart, not a heart that feels unacceptable. Yes, in ourselves, that's all true, but it's in Christ now that we have to shed those inhibitions about how God sees us. Read this passage this week. Pay attention to the words that describe God's heart, God's soul, if you will. A contemporary singer or performer said, the greatest gift I can give the audience is to bear, to reveal my heart and soul to them. God is revealing his heart and soul in Jesus Christ. And it's something that always has to be done in the present. Walk now. Walk now in the good works of God. Make that your endeavor, to be present in the presence of God. Yes, contrast the past, but champion the present. You can never, I think, I, I think I can actually say never, you can never appropriate the grace of God except in the present. Yes, you can think about it and realize that grace is a settled issue in Jesus Christ. 
but you can only appropriate it. That is, you can only make it your own. You can only reach out and actually take it and taste it, breathe it, experience it in the moment. You can only walk with God in the moment. I know we want to go back and change the past, but you can't. And I know that we want to live with God in the future, but while we're trying to live with him in the future, we're not living with him in the moment. I used to sit out there just like you, not here, but in a dozen other churches over a dozen other years, And oftentimes, we're not even here. Our minds are taking us to all other kinds of places. We are not disciplined enough to focus. And in our daily life, we're constantly distracted. Those same kinds of forces which preoccupied and dominated us in that former life, apart from Christ, outside the circle of love. Those forces have to be triumphed in our hearts through our faith in Jesus Christ that we might enjoy and experience what he has accomplished for us, who we are in him, and the power that is ours to live out the life of grace in and through him, in our homes, with our friends, at work, listening to the news, being upset on the internet, reading people's posts on Facebook or Twitter. Those are times that Jesus has to be there too, to give you that perspective, to remind you of your identity, and to cause you to breathe in grace in the way you think about it, the way you speak about it, the way you process it in your heart. And that's a tutelage. It's a, it's, a, it's a life of discipleship. And if we aren't doing it on a daily basis, we're stagnating. We're not living in that grace. And in a real way, we might as well be in prison because we're submitting ourselves to the motions and movements, the push and the pull of all the other forces in this world. That want us to ignore and reject God, our creator. That's why the expression sons of disobedience, that's a Hebrew expression. It means characterized by disobedience. What is disobedience? It's a, a spirit of rebellion. It's a spirit of idolatry. I know more than you. And it is the spirit of our era, our age. Everybody knows. Lack of disrespect, not even a willingness to listen to others, 
But a quick response to dismiss, to shame, to belittle, to demonize. This is our world. It's always been that way. That's always been the battle. Only grace will turn this heart of stone to one that beats with life, the life of God in Jesus Christ, a life of love, a life of joy, a life of kindness, compassion, a life of grace, a life of faithfulness and loyalty, a life of caring, a life of selflessness. And yes, when you adore the heart of God because that is the life force, it's easy to obey. And it's becoming a rare reality in our world. So now is more than ever the time for us to live in Jesus Christ. People are watching. People are hungry. People are looking for salvation not just those in prison. If you want to know what the good works are, I've already alluded. But if you want to know what grace is, just look at Jesus. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at his life. Look at the way he spoke. Look at the way he treated people. The touchstone is your own life. Look at how he has loved you. Look at how he has treated you. Look at how he has regarded you, forgiven you, steadfastly loved you. Everything is there. We don't need a degree. We don't need an extra course. We just need to fix our eyes on Jesus and we'll see the love with which we need to love, the kindness with which we need to be kind, the goodness with which we need to be good. And that will rise up in our hearts, in our lives, to touch the lives of others in the creative power of God in Jesus Christ. We stand with me. I hope you'll think this week about Frank, the more I've thought about him. It's just a powerful example of this chapter. And the circle of love. Such a novel way of putting it. If it works for you, think about that. Maybe that'll be your way of talking about staying close to the Lord, living in his strength speaking with his voice, being propelled by his 
heart, what he cares about, the way he looks at things. May it encourage you this week. After a day in the world when you feel like you were jumped in an alley, and you make your way back into the circle of love, may it encourage you and give you great perspective and grow in Christ. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, there is salvation under heaven in no other name than his name. He alone has accomplished what our heart, our lives need and for which God has created us. If you do not know him this morning, I'm going to be up here after I pray along with pastoral staff, elders and their wives, we invite you to come to pray for yourself, to pray for another, whatever God has put upon your heart. Let me pray for us now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. That says it all. Thank you for him, the outpouring of your spirit, your work in our lives each and every day. Thank you for such love. And it is in his matchless name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you.